0: Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek,
1: and I'm Ryan Cooper. Welcoming uh, back to the podcast, uh, Professor Rob Larson, who uh, uh, teaches economics at Tacoma Community College. He's the author of the books A Bit Tyrants, Bleak Economics, and Capitalism Versus Freedom, and the in-house economist at Current Affairs. He also writes for Dollars and Cents and Jacobin, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so uh, welcome to the show, Rob.
2: Thanks, guys. It's great to be back. This show um, makes me feel more anchored in reality.
1: <laughs> Hopefully not under the water. Um, I just got back from a vacation in Bonaire, and I'm already regretting not testing positive for COVID, so I would get to stay down there for another week. Um, but anyway, I thought you know we could kick the discussion off to talk a little bit about inflation. Um, you know, can you can you give us, you know, your considered hot take sort of on maybe to start with the dynamics of the situation as you see them? Uh, you know, what's causing inflation in the US, uh, and and frankly around the world, we're seeing really high inflation in Britain, in Europe, uh and China, I believe, uh places that didn't uh do nearly as much stimulus as the United States, but nevertheless are seeing some pretty stiff price increases so what's going on there
2: yes uh well of course i know the answers to all these questions obviously <laughs>
1: of course yes
2: yeah, so you're lucky that you picked me instead of all the wrong people uh, out there
0: so that's that's that was what we were thinking it's, it's your, your lucky, lucky day we went through a bunch of wrong people first and we decided uh, you know what let's go for the right person
2: it's you know it's a positive step yeah so the inflation has really uh you know, has become, has become really macroeconomically significant, which is kind of fun. You know, most people my age or younger have never experienced to like really significant sustained inflation. One thing that causes confusion is, you know, remember, of course, you know, technically inflation means prices like across the economy in all sectors increasing over time. Things like healthcare, higher ed tuition, rents have been rising steeply for decades on end. That shit has been inflating seriously and we sometimes use the terminology that way. But usually yeah, inflation means across the board increases in one of the various uh, metrics that we used to keep track of that like the CPI or the various others. And yeah, they're pretty significant now. Um, Basically, though, what you brought up, uh, Ryan, is kind of a crucial thing. Uh, People on the right, of course, are dizzy with joy at the opportunity to beat everyone with the issue of inflation again. It's been 40 years since the 70s, the last time it was significant, you know, uh, before Volcker drove interest rates up to smash us into the worst recession since the big one at that time. And Reagan crushed the labor movement. And between those things, they were able to uh, get rid of the stagflation phenomenon. We'll see if it gets that bad this time. But mainly this time, as you said, we're seeing this ne- like globally. So it's probably not so much what conservatives are suggesting. This is because of all the generous social supports from the COVID period when we actually really did open up the public purse briefly. <laughs> To benefit the working majority, to allow them to survive if they couldn't work or got sick frequently, as a ton of people did, uh, and it was a pretty significant, you know, increase. Especially that rotten Bernie Sanders getting everyone uh, double, <laughs> double over unemployment. Like that was pretty. That was very. I was surprised. It goes to show what one principled <laughs> senator can sometimes do. It's amazing. But other countries that didn't go nearly that far, are seeing the same inflation. So I think the natural response to this phenomenon which is you know really starting to hurt people whose incomes haven't grown with productivity in the same 40 year period. So low prices at Walmart and Amazon are pretty important for them. You know the reason this is biting so hard is that basically this inflation is what you see when a big disruption like a pandemic hits a purposefully de- delicate capitalist supply system. Cuz yeah. keeping inventory costs a dollar a year having warehouse space so we have you know, supplies for our businesses or stock for our customers that costs relatively tiny amounts. And by the whole practice, of course, in the eighties and nineties and on, of just in time inventory management, where let's make it so the product shows up just before it's a disaster. And <laughs> as long as nothing ever goes badly wrong, you know, we avoided inflation for forty years by driving prices through the floor by globalizing all of our you know production supply chains, which. You know, uh, lowered prices for Walmart shoppers, professionals who benefit from cheap Amazon Prime prices. We benefit from that. The working class that got destroyed from that, and that's why they're supporting. Sanders or lashing out with supporting Donald Trump because we have no national media prominence to compete with the conservatives. All of this social landscape stuff follows from these delicate supply chains that, yeah, as soon as uh, something badly – something goes badly wrong with the pandemic, people can't get supplies, prices go up, when production gets delayed – Prices go up because people are impatient or you know, need important products, and they push prices up that way. So I think the inflation will subside when the supply chains get ironed back out, which people are now in the business press anticipating happening over the course of this calendar year. Uh, who knows by now? you know, A lot of us thought this would be a shorter-lived inflation bump already, so we'll all be surprised together.
1: <laughs> That's the thing I think to remember about the uh, the the inflation in the 70s and 80s we're we we were talking about multiple years right we had several like what 5 years in the 70s of inflation over 7% and then we had 3 years of inflation over 10% um so it was it was really I mean people that, w- that was a lot you know like it was very unpopular it was 7%, I think over, over, uh, the whole of 2021, you know, obviously that's the, the biggest, like I've seen prices, the price of a burrito at district taco went up by like 6% or something like that over the, in just a week. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, it was like a 40 cents or something, but you know, that's a significant percentage, uh, increase. Um, um, but, you know, we still haven't seen like I feel I feel like it's fair to say maybe you can correct me on this, that this sort of de- debate between team transitory, team permanent, it's really not settled yet. Like we haven't had enough time and it will really depend on if we once the pandemic sort of settles down to something a little bit more manageable, which, you know. It hopefully, will happen this year. Maybe not. Depends on variance and whatever. But then you could really start to look at it it's in the context of something that looks sort of more like uh normal ish, and uh, you know, iron out if it's if it's just pandemic stuff or if it's something else, right?
2: Indeed, yeah. Uh, and that's a great point. You know, uh, it, it is the case we, always, you know, any business cycle of growth and recession and price increases and decreases, you know, they all have like their basic features in common. Like they are ups and downs, but they all have their own weird characteristics, every recession, every election, every war, like they have basic features in common, but then all the details are always all over the place. Like this is what happens when you study history is you go, oh, it's one trillion times more complicated than I realized. And even if you do <laughs> yeah. have the basics of the story down, which is not, many people are not, don't, can't say that. There's so much to understand and all these twisted wrinkles and warped features of it. So absolutely, you know, uh, and this is especially unprecedented because we haven't had a you know, disease this bad in literally one century, like not since after World War I with all of its own crazy developments and ruptures. Have we seen this? Nowhere near the modern condition. So. Uh, it's up in the air, but uh, like like you said too, though, like it's very difficult to anticipate what will happen because so many parts of the world are involved in this global sourcing process. You know, opening up the global supply program really did annihilate you know the Western, especially American, labor movement. All right, so it did its main goal and drove down prices and allowed monopolization to happen and all these twisted thing you know, features of our modern trade landscape. But it means that like. A number of issues are happening in China right now, and depending on how they're resolved, it will completely affect how quickly we'll have chips for our iPhones and fancy car engines again. Right. Uh, like they're they're managing right, right, right. the downfall of a property bubble right now, smoother than ours was. You know, like they haven't had their Lehman Brothers moment yet. Like they're managing the yeah. bankruptcy process. Right. Time will tell, though. Uh, you know, as you said already, but just goes to show there's so much turbulence and unpredictability. This should be the era where people learn humility in guessing what's around the corner.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and that that reminds me. When we get to our discussion of big tech, uh, I want to talk about China and how they're dealing with those companies uh, and what we could maybe learn from them as well. A lot, a lot we could maybe learn from China without taking on all of their approaches to to politics and governance. But uh, you you write about inflation in a really helpful way in your current affairs piece uh, back in in October because. Uh, you know, we're so used to hearing about inflation from the neoliberals and the reactionary right. And so, you know, when you talk about the complexities, you know, left anchor, I think it's, it's, it's helpful for us to point out. How do these complexities cash out in terms of who's harmed and, and who's helped, right? And who who, who benefits and who's harmed, and, and how should we think through the current state of uh, these inflation concerns from a leftist perspective, right? Because sometimes, as as you pointed out, uh, inflation's helpful for the working class and for people, right? And and, and so, so sometimes it hurts the rich, and that's who's mad about it. So so can you walk us through how to think through inflation generally, and then maybe how it applies uh, right now?
2: For sure, yeah. So, you know, inflation, you know, the increase in prices over time, you know, on the face of it, it just seems like a,
0: you know, a disaster.
2: No one wants to pay more for their necessities and luxuries that make up, you know, your consumption profile and what we economists call your standard of living. On the other hand, some inflation tends to come with economic growth and producing more goods and services, which people broadly still want today, you know, so we can have more of the good things in life. So most of us are willing to tolerate some inflation. Economists will say a little is healthy, but not very much. We've been a lot more hawkish like you know, uh, opposed to high inflation in the US since the Reagan Revolution in the 80s when finance sort of became more important you know finance you know the banking and uh, sort of related industries you're all about tiny differences in interest rates are where billions of dollars are made there so any inflation rate that shaves that thinner is something that finance being in the more being the most single powerful sector of the capitalist economy today. They're especially antagonistic toward it. And so the Federal Reserve just obviously has been uh, significantly more uh, aggressive about the price stability part of its mandate and kind of forgetting the other part of its mandate when it was created in the 1910s for I believe it was full employment. Yes, it was right. full employment. Yes, I've, We've been enjoying right. so much full employment that uh, we forgot about. I just right?
0: can't get enough of that full employment. we like, just got I'm tired so of giving full. us the full employment.
2: Yes. I'm physically full of all this employment. (laughs) Push me away from the dinner table. I tease the Fed. But yes, so so indeed, inflation is painted by the national media and our political system and the Fed as being a simple negative to society and it messes with the price signals, which conservatives are very obsessed about with the market system. So they also have that special antagonism toward it on principle as well. Inflation in reality is a mixed process, like a lot of economic processes. You know, some people benefit from recessions. You know, I teach in a community college. When people get laid off, they come to us to retool, you know, and that's when we're very busy. (laughs) Not that I'm rooting for recessions, I'm just saying, Individual people's, you know, and, and sectors, you know, maybe going up when the rest of the system goes down, you know. And so inflation has different effects on different entities. If you owe money, if you owe a lot of debt, which is most Americans, most middle class Americans, certainly, even if it's just your house or your student loans, if you're lucky enough to have a mortgage that you can sort of afford, uh, inflation can be beneficial to you if you have a fixed numerical amount of dollars to repay. Because inflation means prices go up. Don't forget your wage or salary is the price of your labor for your boss. Just do bear in mind that one of the prices going up during periods of high inflation like this tends to be wages and salaries. And they have been increasing very unusually quickly over the last 18 months. Not as fast as inflation because this is still the United States. But significantly, you know, so we do see that taking place. So people should bear in mind that if you owe a obnoxious student loan balance, or if you have a mortgage, or what, or just you know, credit card debt, or anything else, just be you know cognizant of the reality that uh, if your wage goes up too, that means your that amount of debt that you still owe is smaller compared to your earning power. You know, now bear in mind though that won't always work. Many debt balances are inflation adjusted, like credit cards. You often see that. You know, so they'll raise your balance. Uh, you know, in a meaningful manner. You have know, like so that—that's you know, you got to look into your details. You know, don't just assume that you can pay off anything now that we have inflation. Don't get that giant thirty thousand dollar truck and finance it, which is very popular. <laughs> that's that's the consumer at heart right now. It's not for me to criticize it, but don't forget also. Just throw this in real fast because we have a thematic tie-in to uh, Ryan's book here. Bear in mind that inflation makes it easier for the na- nation to pay off its fixed amounts of like fixed amounts involved in borrowing for the national debt. The, after World War II, we had a GDP to you – know, a debt to GDP ratio higher than today's. All that borrowing for World War II, you know, whenever you see film from that era, it's buy bonds while you work or bank to support the war effort overseas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bonds are how institutions borrow money. That's lend your money to the government. Later, you'll get a little more than you loaned them. You know, The equivalent of an interest rate in bonds, they call it a coupon payment, you know, whatever, it's details. Lend money to the government. So we had borrowed a huge amount. But World War II had a big multiplier effect. It really stimulated the economy. And also we had significant inflation all through that big post-war booming period that conservatives are so damn nostalgic for. you era of labor unions <laughs> and big government regulation and significant inflation. Between the high growth and the inflation, we were able to get that national debt down to negligible levels 20 years later by the mid-60s, you know. So debt inflation does have that aspect. So I want to say, like, yes, the mainstream picture of inflation is wrong, as you're sort of alluding to, Alexios. You know, like they just paint it like it's this terrible thing. Anytime there's inflation, if you're a working class person who owes money, you may benefit, you know. But not necessarily because these things are really unpredictable. You know, anything we do, you know, our nice civil disobedience actions may galvanize a majority to support our policies to free Mumia or it may lead people to go, why did you make me lose my job by making me late with your laying down street action against the Iraq war? Now I'm going to vote for George Bush. This shit's (laughs) unpredictable. It's a mushy social system. That's not saying you shouldn't take action. You just need to realize – stuff is fluid you know so the Rob, thing about it's too much
0: is. it's too much for my my simple <laughs> brain and i i wonder you're the economist and i'm no i'm no fancy economist but what if there were just simple ways to guard against these complex things like if you had Oh, I don't know, a job guarantee and, and, you know, your, your housing and your medical care and all your needs were just met no matter what happened with the macroeconomic yeah. uh, fluctuations. That, that feels, I feel just even better just talking about it right now. I don't sure. But, but I'm not the, you're the economist. So tell me, does that, would that make sense? Something like that where, where the, these shocks and changes that we can't anticipate, uh, don't necessarily fuck people over. Yes.
2: Alexis. Well, as you said, you know, you aren't a fancy economist. You aren't like no. me. You don't have magical <laughs> Blood rights and evil sacred knowledge that is hidden from people,
0: so you don't realize you're smoking a pipe right now. People can't see you. You're yes. in a robe with a pipe. You can't and see it's it, just but it. I have
2: a pipe. Uh, yes, I'm being fanned with a giant palm frond by a servant. It's all. It's like, oh, it's I wish really you guys really could see. It. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the thing is, when you have this fancy knowledge, you realize that no, you're wrong. You don't need a social safety network. Yes. Normal people might think that it's good to have a universal basic income, or you know, a jobs guarantee, or universal healthcare at least. Uh, because you know, when things happen in our turbulent, unpredictable ass society, it's nice to have like a safety net like from society, like a socially safety net something, something like that. Sure, that sounds reassuring, but it's bad really because as a fanciful economist, I realize that labor, you know, humanity, you know, you're a labor unit. It's all about seeing yourself as human capital and when you have ah. you know when you, when you uh, get away from that and you have a social welfare state of some type that's insanely popular like your medicare for alls and so on that's merely supported by large majorities of people and even a majority of republicans that's you know you don't want that cuz then people don't want to just get a child to keep their health care they don't see themselves as a labor unit that's the downside that you aren't I thinking mean, of cuz you're not so clever
0: you you give i mean sick leave and family leave they might actually be with their families when they need to be <laughs> or or take take time off to rest when they're sick. I mean, that doesn't sound right to me. How does That, that seems like a problem. How does
2: that contribute to the gross domestic product? Ask just yourself. run that. the numbers on that. Like, exactly. oh, I love to watch my child sleep and I love them or whatever. All right, that's fine. Just know that right when you're looking sweetly at your sleeping child, China is grinding. They just know because <laughs> it's night when your child's sleeping. It's daytime there. They're grinding while you sleep. Never rest because other countries might have money and sure. that's terrible when that happens.
1: The, um, point. yeah, we, I think we can all agree we gotta, we, <laughs> we gotta stay one step ahead of the sneaky red Chinese or otherwise they're going to open up the trade deficit even higher than it, the, even wider than it already is. Um, but you spoke about, you know, the humility of predictions and how the world is complicated. Um, I'd like to do some aimless speculation about the future, if you don't mind. Uh, and, and, but in slight seriousness, at least, I mean, if, if you could speak to just sort of like the state of play and where you kind of see the possibility space over the next, shall we say, uh, half a year ish, you know, because like the most important actor in the economy right now is Jerome Powell, uh, the chairman of the federal reserve. I think it's fair to say, um, We're not. That
0: can be a question. You can refute Ryan. Definitely slam dunk him if you're, if that's not correct. Well,
1: uh, you know, we're not passing build back better. Seems like that's dead. Joe Manchin killed it, uh, like I thought he was going to. And he clearly signaled he was going to. So President Biden really can't do much of anything. He's reappointed Jerome Powell, weirdly, who has been like the most pro labor. Uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve, that's not saying much, but nevertheless, still a fact, I think, um, since like the, since Mariner Eccles, maybe in the 1940s, uh, you know, he, he and apparently a lot of other people on the Fed have really, uh, taken to heart a lot of the criticisms of the Fed and the absolutely dog shit economic performance we had after 2008. You know, like the, the, the sort of, you know the the growth the growth we didn't have the growth that that you know re, the the damn commies in china are 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 catching up because we can't grow because we had such a demand shock you know uh, the just just this terrible weak economy weak recovery after 2008 now you know with this all the stimulus boosts America is coming out of this with one of the, like, probably the strongest uh, economic recovery out of all the major players, including China, which hasn't been true for like 25 years, something like that. Um, where we actually passed them up in economic growth, uh, for the first time in forever. Um, and, uh, yet, you know, Powell's saying we need, we're going to do a rate hike in March, you know, to raise the cost of, of of credit basically slowed the economy down. Like he's he's worried about inflation. Biden is telling him he's that he agrees, you know, inflation is bad. I mean it's unpopular. It seems like a political liability. Um and yet, you know, there's this, as we discussed previously, uh the this possibility that it all kind of just kind of fades away. That that like we don't have big we don't have labor unions really in most of the economy anymore. Uh, a lot of this stuff seems fairly temporary, especially the chip shortage. There's a lot of new capacity coming online there. Uh, Intel's building a new $20 billion semiconductor factory in Ohio. Can you imagine what Trump would do with that, by the way? I mean, God, it'd be in the news <laughs> headlines for a month straight. Um, but, you know, you could have even potentially uh, uh, what what Joe Weisenthal was talking about, a whiplash effect where where people people are sort of with all the shortages sort of panic buying uh everything and they're building up capacity and and then like you could see a point where like you just get totally saturated and everything just sort of like you just hit a glut and almost kind of like knock yourself back down a few pegs um back into not necessarily a recession type situation but like oh suddenly all the capacity stuff is solved and like actually we've got uh, way more inventory than we need when you got to get rid of it and we got to cut prices to get rid of it. And so, like, oh, suddenly, you know, we got a gazillion Ford F 150 lightnings or whatever, and we just, we can't give them away. So, like, what is your sense about, uh, you know, where this may go over the next year or so? And like, if Powell is been sort of bullied by the business class, uh, into, You know, uh, 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 like beating up the workers, like Paul Volcker said back in uh, 1980, whatever. It's like the standard of living of the American people has to decline. We said that almost (laughs) word for word. Um, What do you think uh, we are in for, possibly?
2: Yes. uh, Well, you know, like, yeah, that is a big uh, issue there. Uh, The Federal Reserve's decision, you know, uh, the Fed being one of those great, powerful institutions that people don't really remember until some big, dramatic event occurs. Yeah, our American Central Bank, and they actually have a ton of different powers and weird abilities. Uh, The main one was supposed... Originally, they were just supposed to rescue failing banks. These days, they run our monetary policy, yeah, where they move interest rates up or down in principle and can kind of give the economy more gas or put the brakes on it. Uh, Yeah, it's an open question how... Powell's going to respond to this inflation slash, you know, mild renaissance in worker bargaining power. You know, wages are up quickly, inflation is running hot, Uh, and especially the parts – that suggests any change in the bargaining power of the workforce, like that higher quit rate that we've seen for the last several months and um, so on. Just terrifying the media, and the business class. All they can do is talk about this <laughs> contagion of workers quitting our amazing jobs. When so you get a dollar a year, it's a <laughs> contagion. It's the real disease is my mouthy staff uh, complaining. So that's been fun to watch media, like experience – First time that workers have spoken back to them in our lifetimes. That's enjoyable to watch a little bit of
0: that. Rob, did you know there's a worker shortage? I don't know where they all went. They're just missing. They're, in, they're gone. I don't know where they, they were here one day. We woke up the next day and all the workers are gone. Oh. It's very strange. Wow. I, know I had a
2: similar experience once when I couldn't find my keys for the longest time. And I was like, <laughs> where are they? And then I found them. Great story. Yeah, you know, so a ton of workers just left the labor force early when COVID happened. People took early retirements. People have left the workforce because they've never been able to get child care ever since. Like, there are like legitimate movements downward in the availability of labor. But I mean, the main part of this, if you look at, I mean, there by now have been several big juicy journalist exposés where someone goes, "Okay, the Chamber of Commerce says there's this big labor crisis. I'm going to get a." working class job and they interview and interview and fill out software after software form and find out that like we're offering half of the posted offer and you know we'll get back to you we have (laughs) offers so a lot of this stuff is trumped up like fundamentally a lot of businesses have gotten very used over 40 years to paying workers whatever they felt like and the idea yep. of merely catching up with inflation is just an outrage to these people.
0: I mean, literally, that's the amount of time where, adjusted for inflation, uh, the the average wage has not gone up at all. That's right. Compared, right? Where, where, whereas all the gains have been up and up and up and up. That's right. And so, and so, literally, they've gotten away for decades with like, wait a minute, you, you want more money than you've ever, like, at all? Yeah, like, to me, <laughs> yeah, that's the but, but just because we're trying to kill you during the pandemic at the same time, you want more money, right?
2: Yes, you're essential. <laughs> so, keep working and you can't. I can't have a raise. I have no money. I'm giving myself a $20 million bonus this year. Like it's just been unusually naked the last couple of years. Like nothing like an emergency to really bring out like the ugly, phony, you know, outrageous power and you know, the use of it in our society. Like that's pretty gross. So the question is now like will Powell react to all – seeing everyone reacting to all this – and inflation you know, legitimately being high like will he do a volcker moment and blast interest rates you know overnight you know bank borrowing fees the fed has a couple of technical policy tools to do this but will it blast you know essentially interest rates up to the moon and well into the double digits like volcker did in the early 80s uh, to kill off inflation by creating a giant recession, I'm sure that he would rather avoid that because that did kill inflation by making what was at the time a terrible recession, which went on for some time and was very sharp early enough that Reagan was still able to get reelected. Uh, but pretty significantly, I'm sure he'd rather cool it off gradually. The Federal Reserve and you know a huge branch of my field, you know, macroeconomics, like most of it, is technocratic glide managing of the business cycle. So inflation doesn't get too hot and the recessions don't get too steep. They do a good job sometimes, sometimes not. Like, a good way to see that is to look at that last big financial crisis, uh, crash you mentioned, Ryan, you know, uh, where after the crisis, like after the crisis, I feel like it's kind of, uh, I'm always excited about criticizing the Fed. They're a terrible institution. They should be abolished tomorrow. But when people criticize the Fed after the crisis, like the Fed was the only entity, like, doing everything it could to get the system back up. To growth, interest rates at zero, and then doing all this crazy quantitative easing policy, which we can talk about if you want. It's very technical. It involves bond buying to get long-term interest rates down, which is way beyond what they normally do. And it didn't do much and it kind of fed into our property bubble. So today, I mean, those were happening already anyway. But it was before the crisis that the Fed is really culpable because they refused to regulate the securities markets and all these subprime mortgage derivatives that had this insane bubble and the huge crash, let the banks borrow more, didn't push back on the Treasury on its own crazy changes to it, you know. So the Fed's culpable to shit. What they'll do this time, I think it'll have to get a little more severe before uh Powell does his Volcker moment mainly because the one big I mean there are two big differences really between now and the seventies, you know, that moved Volcker's hand. I mean one is yeah workers are kinda militant now. Strikes are still super rare. They yeah. aren't common I mean, we are seeing them teachers uh you know in you know uh you know, a number of like surprising places in the economy, you know, we do see them. You know, it's a big, you know, auto workers strike happening just recently. Like there's real action more, more than the flat line that it has been. But compared to the 70s when it was real workers marching, we still had big union density then. And all these other movements, you know, like the civil rights movement was still going strong then, you know, in its you know, original form, you know. Uh, like that stuff's not there now, but above all. In the late 70s, that inflation rise was contributing to a decrease in corporate profitability. Like that, beyond the inflation rate and beyond mouthy workers, like the big thing is, are we still making money? Because even if it's seventies and people feel it's turbulent and there's a lot of you know labor strikes, you know, and, and union activity, which does, you know, raise our costs as human capital wanting money just because they're more productive. Like that's a thing, you know, they don't want but the workers now are deorganized, which makes their Temporary passing increase in bargaining power, I think, less threatening to them. But above yep. all, corporations are making more money than they ever did. So, the I, my impression is Powell will use the Fed's numerous tools. To put us into a glide path of cooling off the economy, trying to get back to what they always want—medium, strong growth with low inflation, like the Obama era. You know, like that's the Fed's sort of technocratic ideal. If it gets worse, if inflation is more persistent than we think, you know, or if uh, you know China has some big disruption which keeps our supply chain screwed up and inflation high. You know, all bets are off. Uh, you don't know, predict anything <laughs> anymore. We should recognize that. But Powell, you know, he wants what the business community wants and they don't want a horrible recession unless that's the only way to avoid you know, inflation that can't be moved or to crush a labor movement. Like they'll accept it but only when the alternative is something they don't want. So much money is being made now. I think they'd be content to let this labor – temporary tight labor market cool off uh, and go back to the status quo. Is my impression.
0: Did you see uh, how Larry Summers wants uh, the Marxists to be in charge again? You know, in the New York Times and everything. And this is great. Be, this is great news. To be news. G- uh,
1: discussed, the the ah, yeah, Post yeah, That's Ganges. true.
0: At least, at least to have their 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 word and, and the you know all the news that's fit spread. But that's mighty big. I, 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 <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious what what you think of this? Uh, you know. Pushback from the MMT people, the modern, modern monetary theory people, uh, who say that it's not true that, that taxes or the Fed are the, are the only way to fight inflation. That's not what they say either, that there's actually all these different ways that you can deal with inflation and they have some, some nuanced thoughts about that. Um, yeah, what's your, what's your take on that whole debate and, 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 uh, what the tools really are to deal with inflation, and, and what how, how the left should think of it.
2: Sure, yeah, well, you know, uh, MMT is extremely interesting. Like uh, most economists, who wants to keep his friends, I'm agnostic about it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I feel that yeah. the yeah. jury is out on it because I don't want to make people mad or going to yell at me on Twitter. Uh, MMT is <laughs> fascinating. I'm all for any school of thought that makes people less inflation phobic and you know less. Uh, you know, scared totally. in general. Austerity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anything that makes people less deficit hawkish is a favorable thing in my view. And I should mention, too, you know, my uh, grad degree is from UMKC, kind of the uh, you know citadel for MMT. And, you know, I had uh, a few of its most prominent people. Like Stephanie Kelton was one of my professors and stuff. Uh, very That's cool, very knowledgeable people.
0: Some of our best friends are MMT people. All of That's us. That's
2: right. <laughs> you know, I just want them to have their rights. It's great. You know? <laughs> uh, yes. To me, MFT is, is, is fine, but I, I. I do worry a little bit. And there's sort of two reasons. I mean, fundamentally, we already have the proven tools to deal with our problems. You know, we have progressive taxation, which, you know, the French economist, Thomas Piketty, memorably called a proven tool, uh, for dealing with, you know, high levels of inequality. That separate issue that we're all concerned about.
0: Famously, Piketty he himself is a proven tool. Ah, <laughs>
2: uh, he's just but that's lately.
0: More personal, personal issue.
2: Just lately, he's changing his tune slightly. Time will. You know, I I just sit down and like look at what's good
0: work. He does good work, though.
2: Indeed, his historical work is pretty impeccable. I have to say, yeah, that's true. Uh, So, you know, I my concern about MMT is that people will turn to that rather than raising the money for our desperately needed programs of social uplift by taxing the rich and corporate their their corporations the old fashioned way. You know, I just fear if we use MMT to finance our Medicare for all and our, uh, eco- our economy of care as the uh, MMT is very focused on, which I think is fantastic. And all of those policies, should we should do those tomorrow. Like that part's open and shut. I, feel, I would rather pay for it by taxing Jeff Bezos than by running the Federal Reserve's money creation machine, both because half the thing about progressive taxation is two benefits that save our lives. One is it gives us money for our stupid healthcare and climate change abatement, which, oh, my God. But then two, it takes the money from our ruling class, which is fucking great. It would take some of their power sure. away. Like It has two equally important goals and it did them fairly effectively. <laughs> Unfortunately, we didn't really expropriate them. So they retained the power to undo the New Deal and the Reagan Revolution and the Volcker Interest Rate hike for all the reasons you guys all uh, know so well. So I just like the traditional methods of financing things. So when people ask me, how are you going to pay for that by Ryan Cooper? I say, <laughs> the classic methods are the best. I'm very excited about uh, reading the book man i'm uh, doing a review for it for the bias so that'll be i oh, just really? got my copy so i'm very excited yes uh we'll, awesome. uh we'll we'll see how exactly perfect it is on mmt you know that that's that's
1: rip really him best. to shreds baby i <laughs> i think i come down more or less where you're you're at you know the i think MM, mmt is the, the that inflation being the binding constraint on 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 uh government policy is correct but that you are going to need taxes at some level, especially if you're talking about a really big policy like Medicare for all taxes will be necessary. And especially if you're, if you, if you have really steeply progressive taxes that basically outlaw rich people, those taxes are going to have to go down into the middle class, um, you know, and that's fine. That's good. You know, um, it was like, you can, you can print money without a limit, if the economy is depressed constantly, like it was sort of post 2008, the Obama areas, when you have low inflation and high unemployment, you can just print and print and print and borrow, borrow, borrow as much as you want or, or, uh, you know, uh, borrow and have the, the fed buy the, the bonds, which is the same thing. But, uh, that's bad. We don't want to live in that world. We want to live in the full employment world where you actually can't do that. Without, uh, without consequence. And so you're going to need to compensate, you know, in advance and, you know, set up, uh, set up the welfare state like the Nordics do it with the, with a whole bunch of big ass taxation and to, you know, to inculcate the, the, the idea that this, uh, that sort of thing is how we all collectively care for each other and ourselves. That it's not a, a taking, you know, of, of, uh, uh, from a, you know, pre-political paycheck. Um, that, that it's, uh, otherwise you end up paying for it out of your own pocket or going without the things that you need.
2: Exactly. why do I mind if my taxes increase somewhat, if I'm getting the sixth of my paycheck back that pays for my piece of shit HMO? Like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, not yeah, higher that's talent.
2: That's not, oh, nuts. I guess I'll pay for that out of the big additional money I have for a vastly superior public health care product where you're not getting nickel and dimed in a bankruptcy by your co-pays, deductibles, network coverage limits and co-insurance. I mean, my God, there's no end to it. Yeah, the, the Scandinavians do real well. They have stable. Yeah. You know, the Corona is very stable. They didn't have high inflation till we did, you know. Uh, indeed, I think that's. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about this book. That's a very uh, sensible way of looking at the issue. Yeah, so MMT, you know, very interesting. Although I would, I would just say two other things that related to that, and this kind of gets back to Alexios's earlier question too about like whether we want more inflation as a solution to our issues. You know, like it does have its up and downsides. Uh, and to me, the biggest issue with MMT is it's not really generalizable. You know, like what countries could. You know, even in the correct conditions – because as you said, Ryan, like that's the thing that economists can never understand. Most of our economic laws are conditional. Again, yeah. we saw like the Federal Reserve was essentially printing money with QE, trillions of dollars worth after the finance crash. But because demand was so depressed and conditions were so weak, every right winger are saying, here comes hyperinflation. And then after like nine years, they're like, well, maybe you – know, <laughs> sometimes you can do it. Yeah, so all of these – Relationships sort of have that mushiness to them. That's why the social sciences, you know, we can't predict eclipses. You know, we can't, it's too complicated. We don't blame, you know, you shouldn't just pretend to be able to. That's. Mm-hmm. So the big issue there, yeah. but with, with MMT you have to have that monetary sovereignty in the U.S. because our dollar has so many global roles, you know, in food and energy markets and all these financial markets. You know, if you, the U.S. puts sanctions on you, it locks you out of most of the world economy. For God's sake, like we could probably get away with doing MMT. Maybe the Europeans, like maybe like, you know, China, probably like maybe Japan and Britain, probably not. Like if, if Brazil and India can't do this policy, like I think it becomes less interesting as a global solution there. So I'm not trying to dump on MMT. I just think that they would recognize, you know, it has a scope that's not confined to the developed world, but is sort of, the analysis is geared to the conditions of, you know, all of our financial institutions here.
0: But Rob, once the workers of the world unite and it's one global stateless, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. then we could do MMT. Then it's fine, well, then
2: fine, yeah. Then you know, we have
0: sure, yeah. Then yeah. we have you
2: know, luxury gay space communism. Then, like, you know, the,
0: That's the stakes are lower yeah. because we
2: have you know, the, the our animal needs met, <laughs> like they say, you know. But the other thing Speaking I want to is, start about inflation yeah. real fast is like I tend to be leery of it as a policy, and even more with MMT, because the thing is, like, people will kind of accept government deficits, and like, there's a there's people have like a weird sense of how the economy works. They have to remember their high school, you know, econ class and maybe they yep. took business later. Maybe they never did, you know, caring about the social and political world, world is kind of niche, especially in the U S. And so like for a lot of people, like it's when you start to fiddle with the money, like the actual money that they start to freak out. I think you know, like MMT, or, you know, I can remember some article on, you know, the EU's bond buying programs. And it was quoting like just middle, you know, working in, professional class Germans and Italians and French. And they're all like, negative interest rates? I just better save some more money because this is like weird. Like what desperate thing are they doing? <laughs> I better save some more. Like that's the smart thing. The opposite of the policy's goal of stimulating money.
0: They're, they're, the they're putting the bitcoins under the mattress. Yes, is some, that what something yeah. about – Fiddling with the money spooks the
2: horses of the broad middle stratum of society in a way that I think is avoidable if you can say we're taxing the Koch brothers and we're putting some of that money into your health insurance. You get health insurance. You're paying more taxes. They're paying a lot more taxes. So you can have bridges that don't fall down, health care that you can keep if you lose your job, do something about climate change you know, and earthquakes out here, which is a big issue where I live, trying to spend some public money on that. People get that. But if you say now interest rates are negative and you have to  – Not have money to buy goods. Everyone goes. What the fuck is this? Get Ronald Reagan in here. It makes people want a <laughs> comforting reactionary figure. I feel so. I remember Doug Henwood. Uh, you know, uh, the journalist and economist. You know, who's I agree with him. Oh, so yeah, friend of the economist.
0: pod. Friend of the pod. Doug. Yeah. Yeah, but he,
2: call, he calls himself a sound money socialist. I kind of yeah. like like that's that's you know usually sound money is the term conservatives use. Of course, is why that's cute. I kind of am sympathetic to that, especially because again we have the proven tool. Take away the Koch brother money so we can have health care. Anybody can understand that political agenda. If the Democrats would ever run on it nationally, I feel like they could run away with the electoral college. But we suppressed Bernie Sanders to avoid that terrible outcome. Uh, you know, So I, th- I feel like that's the thing I turn to more than wanting MMT or inflation or these other exotic things. Yeah. There's no need to freak people out because we can just tax the richer people and you a little. Yes, so uh, if you're getting all these public you services, know, people are more
0: you know, comfortable it- with that. Each to their own weapons, Rob. I, I think MMT has been really good, as, as you mentioned, in, uh, fighting the, the, the hawkishness and the austerity mindset. But as you say, it's also good. I, I like th- this idea of, um, the left needs to be accessible, not just to the fringe Twitter debates, but like, to people writ large so we can do mass politics and really get the things we want to help people. Uh, and, and so I, I think, unless, you know, Ryan, you want to stay where we're at, I think shifting to, the, the bit tatership, the, uh, yeah. the big tech, the big tech problems, which our, our, our friend of the pod, Harvey K., Harvey JK, uh, has, has written up a review of, of Josh Hawley's book, which is, um, s- scary in that it's trying to appropriate, uh, some traditional leftists, at least anti-monopolists, even some pro-union stuff. Um, and of course it's, he's full of shit, Josh Hawley, but, uh, but I think, you know, these are all sites of struggle for for the common person who doesn't follow all of our Twitter fights. The left needs to understand how to take uh, its messaging to the people uh, and the people, as you've written about in Bit Tyrants, the people really obviously get – that big tech dominates our lives. And, and as you write about in the book, the popularity of these companies and of Silicon Valley has gone down, right? Uh, over the last few years. And, and so this is an opportunity, right? It's, 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 it's something we need to talk about. How should we think about? both the problem of big big tech and how they dominate our lives and then we can get to some of the solutions that uh you know are, are not just liberal solutions right but leftist ones
2: yeah sure right on yeah i think that is a, a well observed thing i'll have to read that review yeah figures like uh- Hallway and other conservatives, especially conservative pundits, uh, have woken up to how powerful, uh, big tech is, you know, these online platform companies. And of course, they were the last, last ones at the bus stop on this because these, these are conservatives. These are people who support the free market because they think it's farmers markets where you've got 20 people with apples and you pick the best apples and not out of the box monopolies which is how the conservative economist magazine described companies like Google and YouTube and Microsoft's Windows like because of all the reasons I write about in my much better book about uh, the big tech platforms bit tyrants uh, which have stole everything from I'm sure yes. I should think
0: don't forget the subtitle: "The Political Economy of Silicon Valley." It's a good subtitle. Thank you. So
2: you know it's actually serious, instead of some whining right-wing senator repeating what he heard on Fox and Friends that morning. <laughs> fucking simpleton. That's right. Yes, thank you. So uh, I do my best on this, you know.
0: But Trump, actually, that you mentioned that Trump is, I think, a big reason why the right oh, yeah. got to be anti-monopoly and, and, and against big tech, right? He was, he was part of Trump's that. Trump's
2: the culmination. It starts with Alex Jones and, and all the people around him oh, who right. pantomime rifles. You know, uh, being shot at the camera when they talk about journalists who bother them, you know, like, hmm, I get the (laughs) message here. You're trying to advocate violence without being on a transcript saying, get it, go shoot her, you know. Uh, so that's been building for a while with conservatives, but it's tough because it's those are private companies. And aren't I free in my home to throw out people who I find out are socialists? Aren't I free in my house to, you know, in my business to deny you employment because you're gay or segregate my lunch stand because you're black? Of course, I should be able to do all these things conservatives have fought for down the decades and are now sort of embarrassed by. You know, they still want to defer to the private marketplace and private employers everywhere because, of course, you know, they're conservatives. They support traditional power centers like Cory Robinson, you know, and that's daddy. And- home and the president at you know in the public sector and the ceo in the workplace you know so you obey your boss and what we decide goes that's why they tear their hair out about vaccine mandates in the private sector because now they don't know what the fuck to do it's like oh god yeah i can't so you can see how their heads blow up in that moment you know but so yeah they figured it out but we you know socialists have been ahead of the curve you know since before mobile tech we've been saying oh these are tech firms they'll be the next big dominant sector in the economy and then it happened and we you know Pat ourselves on the back there.
0: but it's true. Yeah, the top five. Is it, is it still true? The top five companies in terms of market value are, are all uh, big tech? I believe it is. When I
2: wrote the book, it was Apple, Amazon, Google, uh, uh, Microsoft, and of course Facebook. Facebook. Now, Meta, I think, is yeah. number seven because their stock fell off a cliff two days ago because Jeff Bezos is an incompetent idiot who shits the bed at every turn. And because mean, he actually controls the company. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, Oh God, it's been tough. But I think number five is it's another tech company. I forget exactly which one it is. It might be Tesla. I think it's might be Nvidia or some chip maker. We'll come back to the chip makers. Uh, It's some other tech bastards, you know. But yeah, so of course it's really rare for the big five to be all from one sector. You know, in the '90s when I was a you know younger person, it was you know Microsoft, Walmart, Chase Bank, Exxon, Walmart, something like that. uh, g e indeed you know. yeah uh, so this is, or or uh, Berkshire Hathaway, like now being all one right. sector, it speaks to how monopoly prone that industry is, and that 's what I talk about in the book, you know besides having a chapter on each one of the big tech company bastards, you know like my Google chapter is one of my, is a masterpiece, if I do say so. Because uh, I hate them
0: so much. You know, it comes through.
2: Uh Even in the footnotes, you can tell they're angry. It talk.
0: turns out they are evil after all. Yeah, they
2: got over it. They, that's not their motto anymore. I'm glad <laughs> that they, in time, were able to come out of the closets being evil. Like, that's a very positive part of our community. Uh, but these guys are monopolies because of the economics of it. You know, people want to be on the network that everyone's on.
0: If I have a video – Network effects, right? You,
2: Precisely. You describe, yeah. yeah, network effects we call that. You know, you want to be on – You know if not Facebook or Instagram, then on TikTok, you want to be on the platform you see other people as being on. Cause the whole point is to interface with other users. And that's why Microsoft had a windows monopoly and why Android and uh, Apple control our smartphone operating systems to this day, you know. So yeah, conservatives caught up with that, and they're too dumb though to know how to deal with it. And yeah, watching them try to figure that out <laughs> is tough because they're really sp- they're really torn in half by having you know by being bad thinkers. So how can I support the free marketplace but support big government regulation like antitrust? It reminds me of like just this week, uh, another big galaxy brain conservative senator, Mark Rubio, was uh, trying to come up with an alternative to labor unions that make workers feel like they have some <laughs> power, but at the same time they cannot have any. Power. Because we really work for the Chamber of Commerce and for Wall Street and Big Tech here. I'm not trying to empower their labor movement. I'll never get a check from them again. What are you nuts? Uh, So watching them try to come up with, you know, it's basically they come up with shop unions again and again. Like people reinvent the company union, you know. So it's uh, goofy watching them catch up with this. Um, Obviously, they won't be able to square the circle because you know, Democrats. (laughs) Democrats have their own dumb reasons for being mad at Big Tech. It's mostly for platforming, you know, trans folks like. Uh, you know Joe Rogan, which is dominating our dumb discourse just this exact week. As right, you said, our stupid right. debates on Twitter, which no one should care about. You know, it's not interesting to the outside world, or even to the inside world. I uh, so it's been pretty dreadful, but none of these are consistent reasons for me to approach big tech, which is it's not acceptable to have big, powerful corporations that belong to rich people deciding what happens in our lives, whether it's healthcare or climate or information and who gets platformed and who doesn't, you know. But these guys can't come anywhere near socialism, which my book does confront in its final chapter, what that would mean for big tech. You know, socialism is worker control. So you have all the people making the platforms, but of course, these platforms, we're the work half of the workforce. We who create the podcasts and books and articles. And- and videos and sexy instagram moments like that's we create the content that gives these guys any value so big you know on- online socialism as i call it like would require us to work with the platform operators and of course we're very far from having a movement that can do that but that would be a real solution rather than watch warren trying to push a tired antitrust horse forward or josh hallway tearing his head off trying to figure out a way around it <laughs>
0: And I like how you write about part of the solution is because I, I, you know, I think on the left we expect too much from uh, relying on Biden or, or Mansion or, or Jerome Powell, and mass politics really needs to be, you know, where the change comes from. So you know, you talk about strikes generally, and then user strikes, and how. Look, this is a space where everyone is constantly involved in uh, the use of these platforms, right, for any number of reasons, business, personal, recreational, and so forth. So obviously, these are sites where there's a tremendous amount of power uh, already being kind of uh, employed by all kinds of people. And so therefore, that's, that's an obvious space where um you know the people can use that power to to get what they want right so so maybe talk a bit about user strikes and and and, uh, and it's part of part of what on- online socialism or how we could get to online socialism as to fight big tech right? yeah
2: that's a good question man i to me i actually have come to think and i wrote about this a little in the book i was still thinking about it then uh, Like I think this solution has to, I have to say, it has to come offline. You're going to have to touch grass and get offline to deal with this. Online, you might have the perfect analysis, the most viral approach, and the best fucking YouTube video. If we ever get to a point where movements are really threatening big tech, like they'll be siloing us and shutting us down more than ever. But even now, we're siloed enough, you know. Like you, depending on the platform, you know, there's lots of details. But we, you know,
0: it's been a problem in the pandemic, right? Yeah, like even more events, so. Yes,
2: right? we're more relying on these things than ever, and we're more bubbled. You know, even like people say, you know, like even in the era of going to get different newspapers or books, you're at least aware the other options exist. Maybe you sometimes see them, uh, but with like real filtered bubbles on platforms, you need never ever see the opposing view, and lots of people just never do. And you hear them, and you can always tell those people because they're like dumbstruck. They're like, well. Oh, uh, you know, people have no idea how to even cope with it. It's like a brand new infection. You have no antibodies for. It just cruises right through you because you've never encountered it. You know, so it definitely makes us all, you know, kind of you know, more shallow and intellectually vulnerable. Yeah, but for movement building, it's just poison. You know, it keeps people in little silos. Like that's the opposite of it. Like people don't want to accept this, but I think I don't want to overdraw the point. But I think on a lot of social media, especially some of the more legacy platforms, like you know they're your ability to build a movement on them is basically dead. I mean, half of them are anti-movement because of how the users use them in the language of places like Twitter. It's the opposite of solidarity building. It's trying to be censorious and excommunicate people all the time. So I think these movements will come when people are organizing in the meat space and meet up IRL with their real workers. And then you're in a position to actually get out, you know, Google can't uprate up or down things you physically say to someone with your fat face. Like, that still works <laughs> fine. Like, you can still get directly through people using your moist talker organ. I like to use that.
0: Yeah, a lot. that's right.
2: That thing works fine. And there's no algorithm tweaking its exposure to people uh, like that, yeah. you know? So I think that is how people will then come to the platforms with a more savvy and movement building posture. Sure. Is my intuition. Cool. And again, you know, I'm an economist. No one should listen to anything I say, but that's. Sort of my expectation, like how do you build a movement online? Like people, you're doing great if you get a big viral video with your cute pet. Like it's just not an environment anymore for this kind of thing. Can be good for getting small groups of people to see events and stuff. I don't want to put it down. People work hard running those group pages for the movement, and you know that's that helps. God bless them, you know. But I think we should see there's a real limitation to what those platforms will let us do with them to undermine them. Like it just doesn't make sense.
0: Sure, sure. In the same way that like maybe boycotting Amazon. Uh, only really makes sense when there's organized, like, strikes on the ground from the workers themselves who are calling for others to support them by also not buying the products of Amazon while they're doing the strike, right? Like, So the on-the-ground the on the and, the, and the online can work together sometimes, but it needs actual on-the-ground organizing For first, sure, right?
2: and I feel like this is something I say a lot, so if people have heard me say this on a show before, I apologize, but like People realize like there is like a process to doing like real activism, you know, and you, it, yeah, you can't just, do it, it doesn't yeah. start with the big cool action, which is super cool. And you know, you know those are really important. And, like those can be the, the big change points in society sometimes, but that happens when there's been years of work by people building up awareness. Yeah. Like I always, maybe it's because you might, know, maybe it's the professor and me coming out too, but I feel like we're way behind on raising awareness. Like America is still kind of a vaguely, A political, social democratic country in huge swaths. And, you know, Bernie Sanders can win literally every county in West Virginia during the Democratic primary. Like, shit like that can still happen. But that was a big surprise to everyone when that happened, because we on the left don't have the media dominance that that the far right and of course the corporate world and the main part of it have. You know, we're always struggling to build up our media. We have all these setbacks and disasters. We never have any money. It's very difficult to keep them going. Left-wing media the last more than 10 years are, like, not super common, you know, unless they're, like, tiny little Operations. Uh, it's very difficult, but I feel like that education. Once that happens, like once the, uh, you have a national level of support for something, then you do these big dramatic actions and strikes and stuff, and everyone goes, "Yeah, I support that. Good, I support that strike. I'll I won't order anything from Amazon. That's hard for me because I live in a rural area. Or, you know, I can't afford anything but the cheapest streaming service, which is Amazon Prime. But I'll do, I'll keep to this boycott because I want to support this because I've heard a number of times from labor or socialists or whoever." Or uh, organizing right. tech people. Like once all that boring work has been laid, then you talk about big actions and you can really move people. But it's, you know, we on the left are very used to, again, more than 40 years of being utterly excluded from power with the odd, you know, breakthrough social Democrat of the last few years, notwithstanding, you know. And I think people have kind of lost sight of that stuff, you know. Like I know a lot of people, you know, personally, who are very mad at America's voters and mad at the country in general over Donald Trump and all the twisted Republican fuck-ups that we put in charge of things. And they should be unhappy about it. But And then they go like, yeah, that's great. Well, those West Virginians should suffer. They should suffer because they made Donald Trump happen. And we say, yeah, but you have to to hear an idea before you can like it. No one's ever heard of Medicare for All. When they do, they go, that sounds great. Like people – you can't get mad at people for not embracing an option they've never fucking heard. Like that's where it is, I feel. Like the right has media, the corporate world runs the media, you know. We are the ones who struggle to build up our media. And that I feel is all politics is downstream from that reality, in my opinion. So getting outside yeah. it, building up big movements and real media, then we can come in and get the platforms. Why would they let it do us let us do it from within? You know it's just not where the incentives are.
0: And that's why everyone should support left anchor and spread the
2: (laughs) the good news. Everyone should support (laughs) left anchor. God damn it.
1: Um, yeah, I, well, of course I agree with that. One, maybe to wrap us up here and sort of tie the, tie the conversation in a, in a little bow, uh, uh, would, is to consider the, um, you know, we talked about Facebook losing, I think they lost $230 billion in value in a single day, which is more than any company has ever That's lost awesome. in American That's history. Uh, and they did it because, as far as I can tell, it seems to be they, they've they pushed all their chips onto this meta shit, this metaverse like basically second life knockoff that looks like you're standing inside a Nintendo Wii from 2007. <laughs> um, and it's just dog shit. And it's gone over just a complete belly flop, uh, in terms of users and likes and setup and whatnot. And it's sort of hooked into all this cryptocurrency NFT shit, which it seems to me is basically fraudulent. Uh, and, so they're, you know, they, they, I think are the first big tech company to sort of, they, they've gotten fat and lazy. Oh, and also in the last, uh, last quarter, I guess they have, they, they've shown the first decrease in users ever in the history of the company. Um, and it strikes me that it's possible, you know, they've gotten fat and lazy to some extent, possibly. And also, uh, that we have the first, uh, economy that looks something like a full employment economy, uh, in 20 years, at least. Maybe the best labor market in 20 years and, and maybe even longer than that. Uh, really, really scarce worker shortage, like big profits to be made in what I'd like to call, uh, real activity. Um, shipping, logistics, manufacturing. Uh, you know, innovation, not fucking pretend internet bullshit and board <laughs> ape yacht club and all of that, like just complete garbage nonsense. And that was very that kind of shit was very profitable after two thousand eight because workers didn't have the money to spend on actual things. So the only way you could like get market share was to sell your stuff at at zero cost. You know, zero. Uh, Facebook is free to use. Uh, Google is free to use. Gmail free to use. Um, now we are possibly looking at a future in which uh the uh old fashioned Marxist MCM Prime type thing, where you're selling something for more than you paid for it, uh, or paid for to to the labor to make it, rather than. Uh, uber where you sell something for less than it costs to make it and lose 25 billion dollars over a decade and somehow still not go out of business yeah, um so yeah. what do you th- like like do you think that this could inaugurate a, a, a sort of regime change in terms of like the dominance of tech over the next few years like like if we do get a sort of sustained like production economy based on like real activity where real people do things rather than dicking around on the internet and sort of like convincing a bunch of dim witted rich people that they're doing hashtag innovation. And then later going to prison, you know, like, uh, uh Elizabeth <laughs> Holmes, um, that like that, it, it might be like something, something different going on.
2: Uh, indeed. You know, uh, that's definitely within the question. Uh, like, these tech platforms have had a couple decades of, you know, it was a long honeymoon, you know, yeah. and uh, they've had a couple decades of being in charge and having Democrats nonstop kiss their ass and hire from them into their administrations, of course. And Republicans, too. You know, like, I remember Bob Dole defending Microsoft against its antitrust case in the 90s, saying, you know, you where know, it's like, you know, an American company makes a product and it does well. Why is it in trouble with the government? For being a monopoly, taking over other industries, you daffy idiot. I shouldn't say that. He died. I apologize. Uh, it's because I said that that he died. Uh, so it's been interesting, you know, like just lately watching those stacks, those tech stock swings has been pretty crazy. Like, yeah, Facebook did record two days ago the biggest single trading uh, day loss of any stock in history. Then the next day, yesterday, Amazon recorded the biggest single day rise in capitalization for any company in history. It's earnings season on Wall Street and all the companies every three months come out with their reports and their stocks jump up or down depending on how close the economists were at uh, guessing how they do. You know, like that kind of stuff. It's easy to look at markets and try to like, like, is this a big thing? Markets are like always tumultuous, like that little piece. Yeah. I would probably put a sign. But tech is in a different landscape now because that honeymoon politically is over. Like you said, uh, Alex, I think a lot of people are savvy enough by now to realize like how much – they at least realize how much they completely rely on these companies. Like when you lose your phone or get hacked and locked out of all your shit, like it's a big – It's not a tiny thing for people in any, certainly in the developed world where we run everything on this stuff, you know, from our email to our jobs to, I mean, you know, all of our day to day, you know, functions and errands.
0: Well, that's a great point, Rob. Remember when Facebook locked itself out and couldn't function? And so WhatsApp, though, is used by people around the world as their basic form of communication with with people around the world. And like they couldn't reach their loved ones because stupid Facebook pulled their nonsense. That was pretty
2: stunning. I also liked it. I think it was just last month or, you know, one or two months ago when we had that. Uh, amazon you a w s outage amazon web service its cloud went down for a period of hours, and you know like people were like, well, you couldn't stream on amazon, you couldn't order things big deal people's vacuums wouldn't work. Because they're in the yeah, cloud yeah, and it runs yeah. on AWS and if it can't talk to the cloud, you can't vacuum your friggin' rug. Like that's how over-integrated technology has become
0: with all this stuff. I mean Ryan himself is in the cloud, so he didn't work that whole day. <laughs> oh, he just, wow. he, Yeah, yes. It's unfortunate. Wow. It's unfortunate. But he likes to not work, so it's yeah. fine. Oh, it no. Leisure.
2: More Another leisure loss to our GDP. <laughs> As an economist, again, you, listeners can't see this, but a single tear is rolling down my cheek uh, because of that sad story of a worker exploiting time off. That's I'll, – I'll call your – I'll find out who your employer is, Ryan. I'll call them. <laughs> Don't worry. But that's interesting. Will tech stay dominant? Because I say in the book, like tech has become as powerful as anything can be, which is becoming co-dominant with Wall Street and the media as like the dominating sectors that run the rest of the capitalist economy and then our political system from it. Yeah. That said, like the political parties are both fairly sour on them now and would at least like to break up Facebook and maybe do something with Google too. It's unclear because something that big – like these are big companies and to take them apart like takes real national support. I mean I have a whole chapter in the book on Microsoft including its own antitrust case. People should look at that. Like they've lawyered up to Kingdom
0: Come. Yeah, they'll put up a fight. Yeah, you know, and the
2: great thing, of course, is there'll be discovery and all their emails will go into the public record and creeps like me can read them. The stuff that came out of that trial – people should read my book just for the Microsoft chapter because the shit that comes out when email records enter the public record is – fairly stunning yeah you know i mean even if you're familiar with these scumbag corporations like the shit they say behind our backs it's just unbelievable you know but so like they were able to weasel out of that really just because bush stole the 2000 election they probably (laughs) would have been broken up into like word and then office and maybe you know like their telecom arm or something like that and explore of course the web browser which is what got them in trouble in the first place these companies though have all learned those lessons too And they've learned how to cultivate both sides of the political aisle, make sure that when the administration comes in, it's staffed with people, often from the old administration. Like uh, under the Obama administration – I think it was – under the Trump administration, I couldn't believe that uh, one of their senior FTC people had to recuse himself from one of the new suits investigating Google uh, at the Justice Department level. Or it might have been the the FTC. I forget which one. But he had to recuse himself because he was one of Google's not just former attorneys but former like antitrust law attorneys. Wow. So I have to recuse myself because I used to specifically work for these guys, trying to help them get around what we're gonna do to them now. And you know, these guys have people in their lobbying shops who used to be like, you know, Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff, like the most dark heart of the swampy beast, you know? So time will tell. Like, it would take, like, real political action to do it. And I don't know how much we do that anymore. Who could say, though? You know, time will tell. But I think these companies are dominant enough now that they're ensconced. to Not to say they can't be broken up. It would just be a feat. You know, if Microsoft wiggled out of it, my God, people don't remember what a scumbag Bill Gates was in the public eye. Like, he was a Simpsons villain in the 90s. Now he's gentle grandpa gives people – in Africa, clean water. Or maybe if you know who Jeff Epstein is, you see him differently. But like that's like he, they launder their reputation efficiently. People love free products. I don't know. You know, it'll in six five or six years. I plan to after the Google and Facebook tri- trials. You know, uh, cases go to, go through trial. I plan to write a BitTorrent sequel, and uh, at that time, I will tell you the answer to that question.
0: <laughs> is it Is there any i mean we, we like to end on a note of hope is is there any hope should we take anything from what china's doing and just beating the shit out of the companies and telling them you know what 's what like it, 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 what what should we look to in terms of uh w- if we do indeed take on big tech uh what it might look like
2: yeah, you know well, I think there are a lot of hopeful things happening you know I tend to think tech is going to be like media like those are the last things to surrender their power because they 're so influential. And that's just my guess, though. But I think there are definitely incredibly encouraging things happening. I mean, shit, you know, I'm a little older than some activists uh, are, and I can tell you that they, I, I I personally, just in my lifetime, I've experienced times which are far bleaker and with fewer signs of hope than this, my young friends. Let me tell you that, you know, like there are you <laughs> Try having like no visible left-wing leadership for decades on end. Like AOC and Sanders let us down all the time. They have the merit of existing and putting the Green New Deal that's and right. Medicare yeah. for All into Americans' heads. I mean, just that tiny thing alone is a huge step forward just from where we were just a few years ago, let alone like in you know, the 90s or something. Yeah. It's just a complete desert politically. You know, So like that's encouraging. We have like real signs of life in labor. Like the Starbucks stores are unionizing across the country across the continent right now. I mean, that's encouraging teachers getting serious, which I'm delighted to see. I'm in the AFT, you know, Uh, you know, nurses, which like how nurses react to what we've put them through. will I think have a big historical moment to it. Uh, You know, time will tell, but I mean, well, I mean, you know, that's a whole—that's an episode unto itself, you know. Yeah. We have encouraging signs, like young people don't like capitalism, probably because they don't like being doomed to death, to debt peonage, and climate hell. You know, like that's important. If we could survive long enough, like that's these true. kids could, you know, we could see real. The chance are on. the
0: future, man, and the and the kids, I, I think they're all right. I hope they're all right. <laughs>
2: Historic <laughs> records suggest that the kids were all right. Time will time will tell. But I have a positive feeling about that. I feel like right now it's a matter of like trying to keep society alive in some. Healthy basis. Uh it's hard to see what could happen with the midterms in the next election. It's easy to imagine our fascist party slamming the doors behind it forever or maybe not though, you know, like it's it's again it's unpredictable. Like don't when you catch yourself starting to predict shit you should shut your mouth and and think
0: that's right. If you're yeah, predicting that's what you're gonna have
2: for dinner, like that's pretty good. Anything past that, like, I
0: would be, I yeah. would be pretty. Confident. Otherwise, just work to make the future what we want it to be. Because predictions are bullshit. But mobilization, organization, and creating the future that we want for ourselves is something we can actually work towards uh, making real.
2: Yeah, right? uh, that's great, man. And again, like people, we need to build up left media. Like right wing media dominate. They dominate in the corporate world and in their huge and growing right-wing media ecosystem of their own. We need left-wing media. We're living through a small renaissance in it. It has... Much further to go. Like having left magazines like Jacobin and Current Affairs, this beautiful flowering of the left-wing podcast environment. It's too many good shows to listen to. It's terrible. Like it's, it's spoiled for choice. I really feel it in the morning. So I'm that's like, right. well, I can't – I can only listen one at a time. It's just difficult. Like that's important, like getting those media to people so they see Shit. the issues differently. Like every week they hear something differently. Like I give Democracy yeah. Now a lot of credit for all those dog days of the 90s. You know, like they – Deserve a lot of credit, you know, all those small little entities, you know. So people can build those things up. I would say right now I think we have enough podcasts. We need more video. Like YouTube is yeah. – like, yeah, it is incredible watching this Joe Rogan to alt-right YouTube pipeline that has gradually developed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, sure. Bill Mar was on PragerU this week. I mean these things are pretty big. They have so much money. Jeez. They buy ads. Christ. They're enormous because they have money. Ugh. We have – this is what we're up against. Make some slick videos. Learn how to make videos. I try to make videos. I learn how to write. I'm old now it takes a long time to get there's making video requires like 20 skills that you have to at least be okay it's, at
1: it's you real young hard.
2: people figuring out your place that is, please do that
0: build those skills Ryan's uh, been getting into it he's made some Slick videos of late so, you know. Slick
1: is probably overstating it but they are yeah. there they are videos and I'm in them. he
0: he, he, uh, uh, he at least he he put Jimmy Dore in his place uh, which was <sighs> one of them which was great That's which is be- a beautiful thing God bless that thing. yeah yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for your support, Rob. Appreciate your expertise and all that you do for the left, and in your articles and in your teaching too, day in and day out with students. I know this. This is sometimes it feels like you know a drop in the bucket, and and it's it feels uh like there's 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 too many out there that we need to reach, but, uh, every human counts, my friend. And so thank you for, for all the people that you're influencing and mentoring and, and, uh, you know, taking away from the, the Rogans and, and the, the, the neoliberals and the reactionary right and, and, uh, helping them maintain their soul and, and hopefully, uh, bringing them in into the fight for, for justice, right? Oh,
2: man. Thanks. Yeah. My pleasure. And thank you too. You know, I mean, this is, you know, I don't know how to do this. Like this. Like these are all the important skills that make the left-wing ecosystem work, so I really appreciate you guys having put out these fantastic library of shows over time. Uh, happy to help, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Cheers, my friend. And you're always welcome back, you know, with uh, Bit Tyrants Part Two or whatever comes next. <laughs> right on, man. Word.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rob Larson, the latest book is called Bit Tyrants. We'll link to that in the description. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode.